Turn with me then, if you will, to Psalm chapter 32. Psalm 32, we'll be reading all 11 verses of this psalm today. Without anything by way of introduction, we just want to read the scripture and then ask again for you to pray. We ask the Lord to bless his word in our hearts and in our minds and for his cause and for his glory. Psalm 32, a masculine of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you but not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. I would like to speak to you today about the battle cry of the blessed. The battle cry of the blessed. A battle cry is something you all no doubt have heard, familiar with. It's a word even or a phrase that people will shout as they they engage in some type of battle. Uh, A remember the Alamo, perhaps. Uh, Some kind of saying that reminds those who are engaged in the fight why they fight. A very quick and short, brief statement that is able to bring into great focus the reason why the soldier fights. These words bring courage in the face of an enemy that is intent on their destruction. It, It can instill energy in a soldier who is exhausted to make one more stand. Words have great power in them because they remind us of truth. They can. Certainly words have great power on the other side as a two-edged sword where they can destroy and deceive with lies. And yet, a battle cry can can come to the aid of an army, uh, uh, an individual, 
as they wage their warfare, whatever that it is that they're facing. And I see here in this 32nd Psalm a battle cry of the blessed. That battle cry is this. It is transgression forgiven, sin covered, and iniquity not counted. Transgression forgiven, sin covered, iniquity not counted. This is the battle cry of the blessed. These are the words that I find to be of great comfort and great clarity to remind me as a soldier of Christ why it is that I fight. Ultimately, why it is that I can even raise my sword, the Word of God, or to, to, to walk in this life as a child of God. These words, this battle cry of the psalmist here, though he didn't say it this way, it's what comes through to me today, this reality of the transgression is my, my transgression is forgiven, my sin is covered, and my iniquity is not held to my account. This is why I can fight. This is why I can wage the war that is set before me as a child of God to wage. We find sin or uh, transgression. We find that that is offensive to God listed in, with three different words here. Transgression, iniquity, and sin. He begins, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. The word transgression in that word is the sense of rebellion. Blessed is the one whose rebellion has been forgiven. The transgression against God. That word transgression, there are two primary uses of it. One is, is an evil doing. Something that is done that is wicked. A violation of the law. A transgression of the law. Maybe a transgression of a moral principle or a duty to, to be honest or, and, a, and a person of integrity. When we fail in that, we, we transgress those laws. And then the second one that we've already listed and said, the second use of this word in the Hebrew is a rebellion. To be rebellious against authority. The battle cry of the blessed begins, blessed is the one whose transgressions his wickedness, his evil doing, and his rebellion against God has been forgiven. Forgiven, of course, you look in this Hebrew word and underneath it and within it, there's this idea of a lifting. In forgiveness, there's this idea of, of a lifting and a, and, a, and a taking away. And I find that interesting because we so often describe salvation do we not when we are saved in that moment of conversion we feel this lifting forgiveness is a lifting off of our hearts the transgression that we have committed against God and it has been forgiven and God in his forgiveness comes and and with our transgression he picks it up he lifts it and he takes it away and we're forgiven and the relationship with him is made right. 
But not only is the battle cry of the blessed the, that transgression has been forgiven, but sin has been covered. Transgression against God's law and our refusal to submit to His authority offends Him. And that's what sin is. It is an offense against God. And this Hebrew word translated sin has within it this idea of offense. To be offensive. To say that we are sinners. To to make the statement that I am a sinner before God is to make the statement that I am offensive to God. My sin offends Him. My sin is that that God looks at with disdain and He is offended by it. Sometimes I think men and women, all of us at times perhaps, and maybe the whole world feels this way sometimes, I think we can think that we find false comfort in the reality of the statement, well, we're all sinners. We, we kind of find comfort in that, don't we? we? We think, well, we're all sinners. So it's okay because I'm like everyone else. Well, well we're all sinners. So it kind of groups us into this big bundle of all of humanity as the Bible does. And, and in a sense, we think, well... I'm a sinner and it's okay because after all, everyone is a sinner and thus I'm just like everyone else. And and so the idea of being a sinner in the sight of God kind of loses its sting. It loses its seriousness. It loses the sense of what the word really means. Yes, we are all sinners and And while we can take some kind of false comfort in that statement and that idea, well, we're all sinners, so we're all in this together. And so there's some kind of comfort in that. But surely, understanding that sin and being a sinner is offensive to God should remove all such false comfort. Surely it can be no great comfort to say we are all offensive to God. Surely there can be no comfort found in that place, though we are alone or with many others, to say that we are offensive to God, I think puts a different light upon the problem, a light that the enemy wants to dim and wants to be sure never is lit in our minds and in our hearts. He wants us to find that false comfort in the idea that all are sinners, so we're all in this together, and so somehow it's all going to be okay. But the reality of sin is this. It's offensive to God. This is just true. But that sin, the battle cry of the blessed, that offensiveness has been covered. It's been covered. This is the battle cry of the blessed. We're going to talk about how this can be and why this is in a moment. But right now, the battle cry of the blessed, the battle cry of the believer in God is first, my transgression has been forgiven. And then he claims and he cries out, my sin, that that is offensive to God, it has been covered. And he no longer sees it. In the King James and other English translations, it uses the word hide to be hidden. My sin is no longer on display before God. It has been hidden. It has been covered. This is the battle cry of the blessed. My sin has been concealed 
from God. Now it has been dealt with and we'll take, a, take that up in a moment. But the blessed one, the one that this blessed, the battle cry of this blessed one, this one person is one whose transgression against have been lifted and taken away and whose sin is covered, no longer to be seen, no longer to be an offense to God. And finally, the iniquity. The iniquity is not counted to my account. Iniquity is guilt. Transgression is rebellion and wrongdoing in the eyes of the law. It is breaking the law. Sin is offensive to God. It's an offensiveness to God. And the idea of iniquity is just guilt. Guilt for those things. My guilt, my iniquity is not counted to me. In our rebellious transgression and offensiveness of sin, we ought and do stand guilty before God. Yet, the battle cry of the blessed is this. It's not counted to me. It's not been imputed to me, which is what this word count in the Hebrew means. To reckon, to apply, to impute. The blessed man is one whose guilt is not counted, imputed, reckoned to him. And we know, we know of course, that it's been reckoned to another, the very Son of God, who took our place. But the blessed man then, who is one who has had their transgression forgiven, lifted and taken away, their sin covered and their iniquity not counted to them. So, the battle cry of the blessed, and who is this blessed one that can cry it out? One who at one point was all of these things, a transgressor, a sinner, and one who was full of iniquity. I think the weight and the burden of our transgression and our sin and our iniquity, I think these things can, and they do, and I believe they ultimately will, if they are not dealt with, they will crush us. Their weight is such that you cannot carry it. You cannot sustain that weight and that burden of your transgression and sin and iniquity. I will say this, we will either find forgiveness for our transgression and covering for our sin and escape the guilt of our iniquity or these things will ultimately crush us. We will be crushed under the weight of that sin and that offensiveness to God and that transgression and that rebellion against His authority and the iniquity and the guilt of our soul before our God will crush us. The place that David referred to this place, this place where sin will drag us down into, the weight of that sin drags us down into that dark place of hopelessness and despair, a place that, again, David referred to in Psalm 40, verse 2, a pit of destruction and a miry bog. Our transgression and sin and guilt will surround us, as he said, in Psalm 116.3, David says it this way, The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Our, our sin, our transgression, our guilt, it's going to lay hold on us. And they will lead to that place that David said of distress and anguish. 
but the battle cry of the blessed is that these things have been taken care of. That God has taken them from us. My transgression has been forgiven. My sin has been covered. And my iniquity is not counted to me. This is the battle cry of the blessed. And yet this battle cry of this one who was under these things found a way to escape them. He found a way to be able to cry out this battle cry of the blessed. Yes, I was a transgressor, but I've been forgiven. Yes, I was a sinner, but my sin is covered. Yes, I was full of iniquity, but that guilt is no longer counted to me. And I stand righteous and holy and just in the sight of God. He found a way to go from that place of despair to that place of hope. He found a way in the midst of his spiritual battle. He found a way to cry out this battle cry of the blessed. Ultimately to say, I am redeemed. I know God and He knows me. I've had that that was a burden to me and was oppressive to me and was offensive to God. I've had it reckoned away from me and God has done it. There is hope here. The blessed is not crushed. He did not find here David did in hopelessness and despair. He found blessedness and he will shout the, the battle cry of the blessed. But how did he find it? He tells us in verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. And he began to find this battle cry of the blessed by understanding what kept him from it in the first place. A great truth dawns on David. When he first became aware of his transgression, his sin, and his iniquity, he kept silent about it, he said. He said, when I kept silent, there was a time that he kept silent rather than, than run to God with our sin. Man often tries to run and find a place to bury it and to be silent about it, to not address it, to not think about it, much less talk about it. Or confess it. Run and find somewhere to bury it where we think no one will see and that God somehow will not see. But we will always know it's there and we know intuitively that God always knows it's there as well. But we remain silent. And so long as we remain silent, as David says, our bones will waste away. Our strength will be dried up. Our unwillingness to confront our sin is what will forever keep us from God. Our unwillingness to, to confess to God, to speak to Him, our unwillingness to, to confront our transgression and sin and iniquity is the very thing that will keep us from the battle cry of the blessed where these things are ultimately and finally taken away. We think... Because in our fallen minds, we don't think correctly. We think that confronting our sin and shortcomings and failures, we think, well, surely that won't lead to a path of happiness or blessedness. 
I don't want to deal with those things. That makes me feel badly. That makes me feel broken. That makes me feel uh, in despair. It makes it's this weight of sin that's crushing me. And I don't want to feel that. I don't want to confront that. And so long as you remain silent about it in your heart before God, you will remain separated from the ability to cry out the battle cry of the blessed. Because until you confront your transgression, you can't have it forgiven. Until you acknowledge and admit your sin, you can't have it taken away and covered. You can't have these things until you admit them and acknowledge them. But we think just the opposite of the way that we should. Sometimes when a preacher is preaching on these subjects and the topic of sin in particular, men grow terribly uncomfortable and we say, why are you saying such things? Why are you speaking such things? And yet the Scripture doesn't allow us to say otherwise. For to be true to our calling, we must preach this word. And he says to us this, this reality of my transgression. I acknowledged it, and we'll see that more in a moment. But people say, I don't want to hear this. I want to hear something that will make me feel better about myself. Something that will give me something to say to God, perhaps, when I face Him one day. That I'm not so bad as I look out into the world and I judge myself by them. By, 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 the, by comparison, I, I stand okay. We're not willing to acknowledge the transgression and the sin and the iniquity that, that keeps us from God. We must see that the very denial of these things, this is what will keep us from being able to cry out the battle cry of the blessed. The things that hold us in our life, that allow us energy and strength and, and wisdom to know what we need to be doing. Remaining silent and not confronting your sin and not confronting with the acknowledging of your sin will will make you feel like your very bones are wasting away as you groan all day long. And I think we've probably all been there to one degree or another for one amount of time or another. This groaning of the sin, this this oppressiveness of the guilt of iniquity and 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 the the transgressions that we that we know that we have offended God. And so long as we keep silent about it, there will always be something in the way of this full and unrestrained joy and this full-throated battle cry of the blessed that I am forgiven. There will be forever an inward sense and awareness of that transgression, sin, and iniquity that separates you. But this does not have to be. Verses 5 and 6 tell us what David did and how he found his way to this battle cry of the blessed. I acknowledged my sin to you, he said in verse 5. I did not cover my iniquity. And isn't it interesting that he said earlier that his sin had been covered and yet he didn't cover it. If he didn't cover it, then who did? Surely then it was God who covered his sin. But he did not cover it. He did not hide it. He confessed it. He acknowledged it to God. When did the blessedness of this forgiveness come? When he finally broke his silence about his transgression, his sin, and his iniquity with God. At that moment is when he finally broke through with God and that sin and that iniquity and that transgression was forgiven. Not when he cleaned himself up. 
or dressed himself up to try and hide things from himself or from others. That's not when this came. He didn't just make himself be a better person, be nicer to people or to do better things or to be right about his doctrine. It's not any of that. What, what led him to this place was his transgression had been forgiven. His sin had been covered. When he acknowledged it to God, he came to God with brutal, painful, and even embarrassing, perhaps, honesty and confession. And he acknowledged it before God and he said, my sin is before you. And that transgression at that moment then was forgiven. When God received that acknowledgement and that request, no doubt that is inferred strongly to be forgiven. And that request as it comes and God grants it and that transgression then is forgiven came to God in that way. And it turns out then that the old saying is true. Confession is good for the soul. But let us be clear what that means. Listen very carefully to what he said. I acknowledged my sin to you. This confession was to God directly. This was between the sinner and God. This was between David and God. This was not between David and the Nathan and God. It was not between David and anyone else and God. It was between God and David. You know, this just makes sense, but I'm going to say it. No transgression, no sin, no one can forgive anyone on behalf of someone else. No one can forgive anyone on behalf of someone else. To think otherwise, I think, is simply unreasonable, yet it is what is taught and practiced in so many places. We have offended God. We individually, each one, we come forth sinners, we are told in Scripture. We're all lost All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. This is just simply true. We have all offended Him, and yet somehow we can have the thought that God can, that someone else, some other man can receive confession and confer God's forgiveness on His behalf. But let me ask you this. What, what would you think if someone had deeply offended you? Just deely offended you. They, they had it hurt you and your family in some way. They had deeply, deeply offended you. And then maybe a friend of yours comes and says, Oh no, it, it's okay. You can no longer be upset with that person because they came to me and they said they were sorry. So, so it's good now. It's okay. You you can look past it. You can get over it. That isn't that ridiculous? Would anyone accept that? Would you? Would you, on behalf of someone else, have the audacity to say, It's okay, I've taken their confession, and so you must forgive them. And yet, from all sorts of areas... Under the religious umbrella of Christianity, there are so many that that seem to think they can accept your forgiveness and grant God's forgiveness to you on His behalf. 
But David didn't, it didn't work this way for him. This isn't how it came to him. He acknowledged his sin to God, to God directly. He went to him. Psalm 51, we read against you and you alone. And I know that that was after his salvation. He was a child of God at that point and he had, ter- he had committed this horrible sin. And yet it's the same, in, a, in the same way he says to God, against you alone I have sinned. We would never accept this kind of forgiveness by proxy. Yet we so readily accept it in the realm of religion today. Listen, our offense, your offense, it's against God. It's not against me. It's not me that you've offended. It's it's God. It's not others that I offended when I was 11 years old and God convicted me of sin. I was surrounded by a bunch of other sinners. I'd heard another sinner proclaiming the Word of God and telling me that it was God that I had offended and I understood that. And for you today, I want you to understand it's God that you've offended. You're offensive to Him and your sin. And yet there's an opportunity to find transgression, forgiven and sin covered and iniquity not counted. There's a battle cry that you can say and and one day can be able to stand and and say it with David and shout it from the depths of your heart. This battle cry of the blessed, but it happens and it comes individually between us and God. If I've offended Him, then it is Him that I must go to and ask forgiveness. And it is from Him that I must receive that forgiveness. I can't go on your behalf. You can't come to me on yours. This idea of forgiveness again by proxy is a lie I believe straight from the father of lies. And it's trying to hide from God and not find forgiveness and peace with Him. This confession was complete held nothing back. David says that he did not cover his iniquity. He didn't come to God and hide his guilt. He did not go to God to argue his case. He went to God to confess and acknowledge his sin. He did not go to God in his Sabbath day best, but he went to God in his brokenness. He doesn't go to God and they say, I'm pretty good. I've got a few things that I've messed up. And if you just help me straighten out a little bit, it'll be okay. He doesn't go to God that way. He comes to God and he says, I'm, I'm a transgressor. I'm guilty. I'm broken. I know I'm offensive to you and I don't want to be. Listen, I know the fear of that task. To go to God with unrestrained honesty pour out your heart and cry for mercy and grace in the full light of your sin. I know the fear of that. I know the reservation in that. I know the enemy will do everything in his substantial power to glue your feet to the floor and turn your mind and heart to the world. I know this. I know these things. I think you do too. But there is a blessedness to be found. There is a battle cry of the blessed to be shouted. If you'll come to God and acknowledge sin and find once again, or find for the first time, I should say, peace with Him. And there is true peace to be found when 
there is a liberty and a freedom and a lifting again of forgiveness that is found when you come to God and confess all. And you hide nothing. You hold nothing back. Your peace then will be based not on a part of the truth, but on all of it. A peace that is not threatened because when it was found, it was based on full disclosure. There will never be another trial because there won't ever be any new evidence to come before the court. I am a lost, helpless, hopeless sinner. I have offended God in my sin. I acknowledge it fully. I understand that I cannot make myself righteous, but I know that there is a righteousness to be found in the precious blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And there'll be no new evidence in this case. There will be no point in my future both on this side of eternity and the next, where I will have to live in any fear that there was something that wasn't taken care of because it was in the full light of confession that I went to God and said, I'm lost and I need you. And that transgression was forgiven and that lightness and that liberty that came from that rests with you from that day forward and we'll have ups and downs here. But there's an acknowledgement was made of sin and guilt before God, and again a full confession was made. So the peace that has been found will forever reside with us. And now, and, and we'll work toward a close today, we have an even more blessedness to consider in verses 7. We might address 8 and 11, I, I don't know, but at least 7 I want to look at with you, if you will. When we find this, place of forgiveness from transgression, covering of sin, and and this uncounted guilt of our iniquity, David says, you are a hiding place for me. A hiding place is found. God can be our hiding place because we know He knows all about us. We can hide in Him at this point when we can cry out this battle cry of the blessed and we can go to Him because we've kept nothing back from Him. And we can be in His presence like a child hiding in His secret hiding place. And again, note what the hiding place is. It's a person, not a place. You are my hiding place. The Christian's hiding place is not his right behavior. If that's where you go to hide, you've not found the great hiding place. Resorting to just good behavior. That's not the Christian's hiding place. It's not his right behavior. His hiding place is God. The Christian's hiding place is, is not merely his right theology. His, right, his hiding place is God. The Christian's hiding place is not her religion. It is God. The Christian's hiding place is not found in this world. It is found alone in God. You are my hiding place. You are where I go to hide when I need to be hidden. Not only are we finding in Him after we find this battle cry of the blessed, this deliverance from sin, this hiding place, but He preserves us. We're told in verse 8. 
Our life is preserved and it's found for the first time. And it's an ever-present reminder of our deliverance. And isn't that, I just, I stand in awe of this idea that is not just an idea, but a truth. In verse 7, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. And listen to this. You, you, God, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. You, God, cry out the battle cry. You've been delivered. You surround me with those shouts from you. An ever-present reminder God gives us of our deliverance is heard with clarity and with confidence when we find it in our own hearts to confess our sin and to find Him and to know Him. And ever just this incredible blessing that God gives us. God surrounds us with His shouts of our deliverance. You are redeemed, God shouts. Surrounds us with these shouts. You are redeemed. I have delivered you. I am the Lord your God. I am your good shepherd. I am he who leads you in paths of righteousness and beside still waters. I am the one who makes you lie down in green pastures. I'm the one who restores your soul. I'm the one who removes all fear in this land of the shadow of death. I remove it. He doesn't just tell us these things. He surrounds us with shouts of them. You know, God, so often in the Old Testament when we read, when He addresses Israel, He addresses them and He says, I am the Lord your God. I am the one who brought you out of the land of bondage. He tells them that again and again and again. And I believe it's not only to tell them who He is and who He is, but to tell them what He's done. To remind them what He has done for them. So listen, at every turn in our lives, every up and every down, every wonderful joy and every awful pain, every glorious victory and every difficult defeat, every day that we live, stop and hear the sound of God's shouting of your deliverance. Hear Him when He surrounds you with it. That's what the angels of heaven are doing and let it be what you do as well. Hear God Himself remind you of your tour, of of your deliverance from this world, from your own transgression and sin and iniquity and your coming deliverance from the transgression, sin and iniquity of the whole world. This is the battle cry of the blessed and it sounds like the path to true, lasting, authentic joy that the Bible tells us is available to us if we would avail ourselves to it. I want to just close with a few thoughts from verses 8 through 11 as you reread those perhaps later today. I want to encourage you do not apologize for your freedom and joy in Christ. God doesn't. He shouts it. And He surrounds you with it. Do not hold it silently or lightly in your life. Return the shouts of God about your deliverance back to Him with shouts of your own. Do not hold your spiritual ground timidly. 
but bang the drums of Christian warfare and declare to the enemy and the world that you will not be moved, that you ultimately cannot be moved because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is your captain and he's already won the battle. Shout the battle cry of the blessed. Now, how is this possible? And I'll close. How, how can this be, though? Has God... In this battle cry of the blessed, are we arguing or saying or teaching that God has somehow turned his eye from sin? And he somehow has, has ignored it? Far be it from God to do such a thing. It would make him an unjust judge. Sin is going to be counted. It's going to be dealt with. It's going to be judged. The battle cry of the blessed is this. There is one who went and took my penalty. My transgression was imputed to him. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who lived perfectly, did not transgress the law. Did not rebel against the authority of his Father. Did not hold any guilt for his own actions. Went to the cross and died there so that you, through him, might be able to sing and to shout this battle cry. My transgression is forgiven. My sin is covered. My iniquity is not counted to me. That's how. Sing this praise to God. What a life this would be if we held on to this battle cry the blessed like we should would see it, if we would feel it. Will you today remain silent and slip away quietly into more despair and ruin, or will you open your mouth and acknowledge your sin to God and testify of His greatness and of His forgiveness? This message is, of course, for those who've never known the peace of God and don't understand what His forgiveness is in salvation. But I will say this as well. If you're already saved, do not think yourself outside the target of these words. The battle cry of the blessed is when we have acknowledged to God our sin. Even after we've been saved. Not to be saved. Not in order to be saved but to right the ship once again of the relationship between us and God. It is our silence to God about our sin that prevents this glorious battle cry of the blessed from ever being spoken in our life. If there's sin in your life, and surely there is in all of ours, but we're unwilling to acknowledge those things to God, that will be the very thing that will separate you from Him and thus the very thing separating you from being able to shout the battle cry of the blessed. My transgression is forgiven. It can't be forgiven if I do not acknowledge it. My sin has been covered. It cannot be covered if I do not acknowledge it. My guilt is not counted to me. It cannot be so until I fall upon the mercy of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, who willingly took my sin and my guilt and paid for it with His death on the cross. And when we feel that, when we find this wonderful place of peace with Him and forgiveness, we can shout the battle cry of the blessed in our life. And I pray that that is true for you today. Let's have a song.